Acts chapter 2. And we're going to be starting at verse 42. Going to verse 47. And one of just, just my little um, tirade before the sermon. Um, I have been in uh, ministry in one shape or form for a number of years. And this has been, this section of Scripture tends to be the one that younger adults always run to when they talk about the church. This is what the church needs to be like. What is wrong with the church? You see what they're doing? You see how they're living? They're in fellowship. Man, they're sitting in God's Word. You see what they're doing? They're giving of, of themselves. They're giving to each other. It's just this rich community, and the church is growing. Why can't the church be like this? The church that I go to sucks. My mom and dad's church, they're old people, they're kind of musty. Everything smells of Lysol when I go into the church. You know the church I'm talking about, right? I grew up in that church. Why is the church, and, and they're cold and they're stingy. These people are, they're kind of mean. They're stuck in their ways. If you're a student of Scripture, you know that the church is riddled with problems. Why is it riddled with problems? Because you're in it. You are in it. I'm in it. You read the book of 1 Corinthians. The book is Paul just going, are you serious? You're doing what? Cast that person out. What That, you're doing what? Okay, this is how we do the Lord's Supper. Let's correct this. This is out of out of sync, out of whack, you guys are doing this, you're doing that, come on, and now i got to deal with this guy sleeping with who? Oh, this is getting kind of creepy. There's always been problems in the church. But Acts chapter 2 is a snapshot of a healthy church as close to Pentecost as possible. And this morning we're going to investigate what are some of the characteristics of a gospel-driven spirit filled church. A church that is reliant fully on Jesus Christ and the direction of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that we do for Missio Day, at Missio Day Church is after the reading of Scripture, I say, this is the word of the Lord, and the response is? Be Let's try that again. This is the word of the Lord. Be okay, so just be ready for that. Here. Follow along with me. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received the food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. So Acts chapter 2 describes the early church. 
It's presented as a model for the church, but that does not, like I said, that does not mean that the church was perfect by any means. Just even a few chapters later, we go on to find that it is absolutely far from perfect. You read much farther, and this does not mean years later. This probably means weeks, months. The church already starts going off track. It had its doctrinal errors. It certainly had sinful humans of all shapes and sizes and types as our churches do, as Missio Dei Church does. Yet, it's a model with, with some important things that we have got to be looking at and understanding as we look at the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. We've got to understand what, what is Luke saying about the church And what is he saying to us today? What what is he saying about this this early church? Well, obviously, it was an inner city church. Does that mean that every church should be inner city? Oh, heavens, I hope not. Because we're out here at Camp Manitoba, kind of in the woods. But it was an inner city church. And it was, honestly, it was a large church. Does that mean that every church needs to be a mega church like this? Your answer is what? No. Okay, thank you. Because if you go off... How many of you have ever read David Platt's book, Radical? That book is filled with stories about these these secret churches that are hidden in China that they only have a small light bulb on in in the house because if anybody knows that they are gathering for worship and understanding the apostles' teaching, they would be persecuted. They would be killed. And they are small gatherings of faithful people. Is that the church? Absolutely. Are churches of 3,000 to 10,000 the church? Absolutely. Different shapes, different sizes. This church was large. 3,120 people. And the amazing thing is that church grew like that. Overnight. Overnight. Started with 120 some odd folks. Overnight, 3,000 people were added. I, I, I don't even want to think about the logistics of that. that. You want to talk about a messy church? It was there. 120 people going, okay, who's discipling this group of 500? Okay, who's discipling this group of 200? Okay, I've got these three because that's all I can handle. You know, And so the church just grew and exploded. So it was a large church. It was a messy church. But in this chapter, we need to look at some things that are said about this model church. This was a Bible-studying church that practiced fellowship, it worshipped, and it evangelized. The key verse is is verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The first phrase says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. In other words, they were a learning and they were a studying church. 
There were a lot of other things that Luke could have pointed out about this church. He could have said, you know, they were a joyful church. They were really happy. There was just this exceeding joy. He could have said that they were this fast-growing megachurch that everybody needs to pattern their lives after and their church after. He could have said that. He could have said that it was vibrant, that everybody was using their gifts and their talents. Nevertheless, the first thing that Luke pointed out about this church was that it was a teaching church. That the people were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted, deeply devoted, to the apostles' teaching. He stresses that in this early church, in spite of the great experiences that they had just had, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit into their lives. People were speaking in tongues that they never knew or never understood before. And 3,000 people came to Christ. They were not focused on the experiences. But they were devoted. They devoted themselves first to the apostles' teaching. It could have been a great temptation. And I, I know that it would be a temptation for me for the early believers to look back on Pentecost and on the past and just say, do you, oh, do you remember that, that experience that we had together? How can we replicate that again? You remember when the Holy Spirit came down, there was this, this rush of wind and, and all these things started happening? Let's replicate, do whatever it takes to replicate that. Because that was my mountaintop experience. As a kid, as a college student, and even as an adult, there are times in my life where I just desire mountaintop experiences. Anybody else? Yeah. You, if we could just do that again. Even starting Missio Day Church. Missio Day Church was born out of a Sunday evening worship services here at Camp Manitoba. And my wife and I just, oh, if we could have just that kind of worship. It was hot, it was sweaty, there was sweat going down places that no sweat should ever go. Staff, you know what I'm talking about? Just wait, it's not there yet. It's going to get worse. And, but it was earthy and it was real and we just, there was tears and there was joy, there were people dancing, there was great joy. And there's part of us that Laura and I have got to guard ourselves saying, Oh, we want that again. No, the first thing is that is critical for the health of a church. That it must be a studying, a learning, Bible-loving group of people. Where they are deeply rooted in what? The Word of God. The Word of God. That is the most, the first prominent thing, and I dare say the most important thing for a church. If you are not studying the Word of God, something is lacking. If you are caught up in five steps to a better marriage every week, three steps to financial peace, one step towards the door, and not hearing the Word of God, and not learning it, and enjoying it, and savoring it, and being transformed by the Word of God, Something is lacking. The church of Jesus Christ has got to be reveling in the Word of God. 
We're Sunday morning. You are just anticipating. You are just, you can't wait to get together with the body of Christ to hear the Word of God. This all is very important. In most evangelical churches, this is it. Isn't it? If the band can be cool and sexy, and play the, the latest Hill songs that make you weep, that's it. You know, like worship leader in his skinny jeans. He's just it. The most important thing for a church of Jesus Christ. I love you, Tyler. I wasn't even intentional. But it's true. The most important thing for the church of Jesus Christ is not, is not this. This is critical. This is important. But if you are looking for a church that has this with all the bells and whistles and the lights and the fog machines and the you know blinking, oh, mesmerized by worship, but it's lacking in its teaching, you're missing it. The Word of God needs to be central. It is the first mark of a healthy church where the Word of God is taught properly. Taught properly. And it has got to be apostolic teaching based off the teaching of the apostles. And where did the apostles get their teaching? Jesus Christ Himself. But as we, we learned, prior to the ascension of Jesus Christ, Jesus taught from the Scriptures. What Scriptures did He have? The entire Old Testament. A faithful church needs to teach from the whole council of Scripture expositionally teaching. Does that mean that there's no place for topical teaching from here and there? No. We need to do that. We need to hone in on certain areas. But we need to be people who understand whole books of the Bible in context of the whole book of the Bible. It is critical for our health to understand Scripture. So a Spirit-filled church always studies apostolic teaching. It is a learning church that is grounded in its experiences, in those experiences by the Word of God. A Spirit-filled church is always going to be a Bible-studying. These things go together. There have always been periods in, in our church history. Always. If you're a student of church history, there's always been periods in history where the Bible has fallen on hard times, if you will. And they've been neglected by, by God's people. There have been dry ages in the churches. There have been periods when the Bible has not always been readily available. Sometimes by political pressure. Sometimes by the pressure of the church wanting to control the people. Nevertheless, whenever the church has been greatly blessed, where the Spirit of God has come upon God's people and the Gospel has gone forth in great power and people have responded to it, these have always been in the times when the Bible has been studied carefully. Why? 
Because the closer that men and women come to God, the closer they get to where He speaks to their hearts. And how does God speak? Yeah, we can say that He reveals Himself. General revelation in, in creation. But God's primary, most focused, and most direct way of communicating with His people is through Scripture. What is true of the church is also true for individuals. It's absolutely true of individuals. If you are Spirit-filled, then you will be drawn to this book. If the Spirit of the living God is indwelling in you and He is working deeply in your life, if you are filled with the Spirit of God, if you are bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, you should be drawn to this book. If there's dust on your Bible, if it hasn't been cracked since last Sunday, or maybe even yesterday, there's some deep soul-searching stuff that needs to go on. Because you should be drawn to God's Word. Deeply drawn. If you're not drawn to this book, if you do not really want to study it, and if you say, you know, I look at the Bible from time to time, it seems rather boring to me, I don't get it, it doesn't really do much for me, or I only run to it with, when my life has hit a wall, Maybe you should question whether you're really born again. And those are hard words. Or if you are born again, you ought to at least ask the question whether you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, whose chief task is to bear witness to who? Jesus inevitably, inevitably draws people to God, to Jesus, through Scriptures. The Word of God is critical to our health as a church. To your health as an individual. Manitoba staff, I pray that you do not just go to the Word of God, open up your Bible to teach children. I pray that you are consuming the Word of God on a daily basis for your soul's sake. That as you read it, the Spirit of God just pricks your heart and says, okay, that, you remember that right there? Yeah, that. I'm working on your conscience right now. I'm convicting you of sin right now. Before you go to those kids and tell them to come to Jesus, maybe it's time for you to come to Jesus. You're going to get tired by, by week five. There's that notorious week five that everybody's going to be talking about. Week five, you're tired. It's kind of this hump and we're, going to, we're kind of coasting to the end. If you don't put into practice now the practice, the discipline of being in God's Word, it ain't going to happen. And that goes for all of us. If you don't schedule, it ain't going to happen. It doesn't just naturally come to you, does it? So a Spirit-filled church needs to be a Bible-studying, learning church. 
Second thing, not only did they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, but this early church was devoted to fellowship at many, many different levels. John Stott, a guy that I trust and love his teaching, said that the word fellowship was born on the day of Pentecost. This is because Christian fellowship means common participation in God. So your fellowship isn't just this warm, fuzzy thing, hey, let's hang out after a long day of of hanging with kids, or hey, let's go B-dubs and have some spicy stuff that makes your nose run and just have great conversation. That's not just fellowship. Fellowship in the biblical sense is far deeper, far more meaningful than just that. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 1 and 3, he said this, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you, So whatever I've seen and I've heard, whatever I've witnessed, I proclaim to you so that you too may have the fellowship with us. So whatever I've seen, I've heard, I'm going to tell you because I want to have fellowship. I want to have this common participation with you. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So, our... It's not just this, hey, I love Matt Preby. I want to hang out with him. I want to have fellowship with Matt Preby. Great guy. Single. Need to hook him up with some... Great. So he can have fellowship. You know? The, the purpose of Christian fellowship is it is a reflection of what is going on here. This beautiful vertical thing. And when we have this beautiful vertical thing with God the Father and God the Son, it pours out this way. It pours out. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, which has something to do with holding stuff in common. The form of the Greek language that the Bible was written in is written in what kind of Greek? Anybody know? Koine, thank you. Western Seminary, a little bit of education there. Koine Greek. It has its same root in the Greek word koinonia. Common, participation, fellowship. The Greek that the apostles, in the apostles' time, was a common Greek. The language of the church was a common fellowship, or the fellowship of the church was a common fellowship because of their great spirit, the great spiritual realities that the believers shared together. And listen to this. If you have a fellowship that you think is absolutely so special, perhaps with only one or two of you, that you do not want anybody else to be part of it, and your group is absolutely closed to any outsiders, this is just me, this two or three, our group of people, and you know what, it's safe, it's secure, it's really nice, we got a lot of boundaries that keep people out, we got key words about whether or not to invite people to our fellowship. If that is true of you, then you better question whether or not it is really a fellowship of God's people. Because God's people is enveloping, isn't it? 
It had to be. Look at, you had 3,000 people. If those 120 said, whoa, 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 here are the rules. We're going to kind of keep to ourselves and keep things safe and secure. You guys got to figure it out on your own. Something is missing. It's not truly a fellowship of God's people because there's this deep transformation when God, God's people are hit with the gospel, transformed by the gospel, it has horizontal impact. And God's people are immediately, who can I pull into this fellowship? Because what I have received, what I've heard, what I've seen, I also want to share with you. I don't care what class, what group, what economic kind of thing, what theological thing. Man, I, I want to pull you into this because it is a shared fellowship between God and with each other. We need to be a part of a tight community that is... We love to hug each other, but we also want to pull people into this fellowship. That is a mark of a, of a healthy church. Deep, beautiful, rich fellowship. But here's the truth is, if you find yourself out of fellowship with God, you soon quickly find out that you're out of fellowship with others. If you say, I really don't like Christians very much, they all seem to be hypocrites, you will soon find yourself drifting off. But if you come close to God, you will inevitably find yourself being drawn to other Christians. As weird and quirky as they may be. Because you know what? We're all weird. We're all quirky. We're a group of misfits that are all under the same umbrella of Jesus Christ. And the, the amazing thing is, is that there's this thing called a gallbladder. Nobody really knows what the gallbladder does or the pancreas, you know, it's this thing over here. We, I got a little toe, kind of an ugly thing. But you know what? They're all necessary parts of the body. And when we're brought together as a fellowship, we need each other. Going on. The next mark, as you see in here, is that it was a worshiping church. They worshiped. Could you imagine? They did not have a full band. But 3,000 voices gathering in what was probably the temple courts of the Gentiles, because that was the largest space that they could fit. They were gathering together for what? Worship. 3,000 people transformed by the Holy Spirit, worshiping, vibrant, rich, singing loud. Probably a lot of times, a cappella, which scares the living daylights out of most men. Right? I don't let my voice be heard. I'm going to sing really low. So low that you can't hear me. But they lifted their voices up in praise. And the amazing thing is that this worshiping church had two different kinds of aspects. There was this breaking of the breaking of bread and prayer. Breaking of bread means a communion service. 
and prayer. They were sharing of the Lord's Supper and they were praying together. Also being held underneath the apostles' teaching. This had to be a great church. Learning from Scripture. Fellowshipping with one another. Wrestling through it and breaking bread. Reminding themselves of the Gospel. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. And let's worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The amazing thing here is that if you don't read it carefully, and there's some nuances with the Greek, there's this idea that there was a formal side of their worship to the breaking of the bre- of bread, to the prayers. There is a, what's called a definite article in there. So in other words, it's pointing out it's not just to breaking bread, praying. It's to the breaking of bread. So it was something that was set in stone to the prayers. So there was probably some liturgical piece to their worship, a real formal side of their worship. They even went to the temple and there was a certain protocol that when you went to the temple, you were dressed a certain way. Had gone through all the hoops. And it was with certain formalities that they did things. We're a generation that tends to say, uh... Let's keep it informal. Come as you are. You be you, me be me. But there's a real formality. And if the worship is going to be more structured, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, maybe even have a liturgy where people read off screens, that's a little tight for me. Scripture gave this idea that there is a very formal part. But the beauty of it is that there is also an informal part to their worship gatherings. Where else did they worship? Help me out. Where, where, where was that? In their homes. They worshiped in their homes. And they're also, the, what did they do? They broke bread. They sang songs. They worshiped. A mark of a, of a healthy church is a, a church that is deeply caught up in worship. In formal settings, Sunday mornings, the Lord's Day, the gathering together of God's people. But, they also worship in smaller settings. And I dare say that it's even when you are driving down the highway, you got the song kind of turned up, and you're singing, and then all of a sudden you catch out of the corner of your eye, people going, what is going on over there? You're having your Jesus moment. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody else have that? Yeah. You see how high the hands go? That was me. I saw you. But there's this formal aspect of worship, and there is this informal aspect of worship as well that is critical for the church. But the other part that, is, that we cannot miss out on is that there was this, the church, the fourth aspect, the fourth point this morning is that the church was one that shared the gospel. It was a church that was witnessing and it was evangelizing. It was sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. 
How do we know that? Well, these people were praising God and having favor with how many people? All the people. Okay, imagine that witness. If the church of Jesus Christ had the favor of all the people, what kind of impact that has? But then it goes on to say, and the Lord,